Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 301 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Brian Hogan. Hi, everyone. Dave Kimura. Hello, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Um, we have a call for proposals open for Ruby Remote Conf, so if you want to speak, please apply. Um, this week, we're going to talk about writing, and this is something that Brian recommended. Brian, do you want to give us a little bit of background as to uh, where you come to for this and why you recommend it as a topic? So one of the things that I've been doing for the last uh, 10 years or so is, is writing about technology and teaching about technology. And I love writing code, and I discovered that I really like helping other people learn about new technologies. Um, and what I've also found is that a lot of the best um, a lot of the best teachers are people who are sort of discovering things themselves. I mean, how many times have you all gone out there, right, and looked at a blog post uh, that covers the exact error message that you're having a problem with or the exact, uh, the exact issue you're trying to tackle, right? You know, if somebody took the time after they solved that problem, someone thought enough to take the time and say, you know, I bet somebody else is going to run into this problem. I'm going to help them solve that. And, um, and I think there are a lot of great opportunities for software developers to uh, add the skill of writing to their tool belt, become better communicators, write better documentation for their open source projects, but ultimately help each other become better software developers through the writing process. So that's uh, that's what I would like to talk about today with everybody else. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. Yeah, it sounds good. And, you know, I've done some blogging. I am working on a book, or at least I think I'm working on a book. I don't ever actually get time to work on the book. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, I've written some of those posts where I got an error, and then I figured out how to fix it. And so I went in and I said, this is what I was doing. This is the error message I got, and this is how I fixed it. And, you know, it's funny because when I was, especially when I was a new programmer, those were the uh, those were the blog posts that got the most traffic because <laughs> it had yeah. the exact error message in there. And so, you know, Google does that awesome keyword matching and goes, oh, yeah, this is exactly what's in that post. And boom. And that's the thing. And, you, you know, you, just by doing that, you have that epiphany. You have that moment of clarity where you go, I can explain this to somebody else and they can save them some time. You know, I mean, you look at a lot of the, you look at a lot of these posts. I was looking at an SSL, a Ruby and SSL issue uh, last night for about an hour. I'm an old machine that I'm bringing back from the dead because my current machine is in the shop. Mm -hmm. And I got to get everything set up again. And I was just running into this. I could not, for the life of me, get RVM and Homebrew to play together. And I, and I Googled for maybe five minutes or so and found a post that had the ex exact solution I was looking for. But I looked at the comments below it, and there were people like, I was searching for three days for the answer to this. I was searching for hours to find the answer to this. Thank you so much for writing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's, that is like the easiest way to pay it forward as a software developer. If you, if you figured something out, throw a blog post up there, write about it, and tell somebody else about it. It's the easiest way to pay it forward to the next person. Yep. So Yeah, I agree. I remember trying to figure stuff out before the internet was widely available. And, I mean, it would be weeks and weeks just stumbling over one line of code or something. And, you know, it's just uh, horrible. So I uh, definitely agree. Blog posts and Stack Overflow and stuff has been a lifesaver in many cases. So you know, there's there's sort of the two kinds of two kinds of ways to get back, right? The I figured out a way to get around this error message, versus I have an idea that I want to share with you, and I want to uh, 
you know, I want to get you on my team, for example. Like, I want you to use Elixir or an Elm, or I want you to use this this great new Ruby gem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those, those are the two kinds two kinds of writing, right? The, the the helping you solve your problem and the 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 teaching you about a new thing. And I've always felt that it's really important to frame them both as helping you solve a problem. There's a lot of a lot of folks that I uh, that I that I kind of coach on writing when, when I'm when I'm doing editorial work, and a lot of them are really excited and really passionate about their thing, like. Oh, you should totally, totally use you know device for your 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 Rails application. It is the best way to do authentication. Um, and what I find that they miss is wait, 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 slow back. Why should I care? And so the question I always ask anybody who's writing about any topic, the first question I ask them is, uh, why should I care, and how will this make me a better developer? Mm-hmm. Answer that que- answer that question first before you go and tell me what the solution is to that problem. Right? Answer that question first. Tell me how this is going to solve a problem that I have. What's the pain point that I'm going to have? Why should I care? Uh, so a lot of that writing, you know, it it, it it takes the takes the focus away from the presenter, and it focuses on on that uh, on the needs of the reader. And once you do that and you follow that, then the the piece of writing becomes a thousand times more effective. The person who's reading your work now has that buy-in, just like they have that buy-in when they're reading your blog post about how to solve that tricky error message they're coming to. They've already got that buy-in because you're you've made a very clear connection how you're going to solve their problem. But if you start writing a post on you how you why you should adopt Elm for your user interface, and you start talking about it's great, it's got type checking, it's got all these new features, but you you fail to hit that really important thing about why should I care? How is it going to make my life better as a developer? How is this going to make my problem go away so I can go on to fix another problem that I'm going to have to face this afternoon? You know, if you fail to do that, you fail to really engage with your reader. Yeah, I've I've heard a few people call it W I I F M. What is in it for me? Yeah. And yeah, if if you're not addressing that, if you're not saying, look, this is why it matters, then yeah, you're you're kind of setting yourself up to to fail on that front. And if you can't convince people to care, then they're not going to go through the trouble of figuring out how to do it unless they're just trying to get some kind of mental exercise. But yeah, most people, you know, they'll go find another mental exercise in something that's a technology that's going to pay off for them. Or in a technique yeah, yeah, yeah. that pays off for them. So exactly, if you've read if you've read something, or uh, you know, if you've read something, you've invested time in it, and yep. you, you kind of feel like your time has been wasted. And the same thing happens if you've write, if you've written something, right? If you've written if you've written an entire book and nobody buys it, if you've written a whole series of blog posts and you get no traffic, you know, it, it's kind of kind of demotivating, and you probably won't write something again. And and it could just be not that your topic is bad or that your writing is bad. It could just be that you just didn't make that connection with the reader. That is honestly, that's the number one conversation I have when I'm working with somebody new on an article or on a book is how, how, who is your audience? How will you solve their problem? What are the four or five takeaways you want them to come away with? And then everything in your piece, everything in your entire article or in your entire book, all should come back to those those kinds of common themes. What are those in education? You call them, you know, competencies or learning outcomes. You know, what what are the outcomes that you want them to be able to do that they couldn't do before? Those kinds of things. Uh, if you tie all those things together, then you've got them engaged, and then you know, then you're not wasting their time, and you're not wasting your time. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, you're giving me flashbacks of high school English, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's like the, it's it's one of those things you sit there and go, oh, why does this matter? I'm never going to do it. Then you find yourself, you know, ten years later in your career, going, I think I'd like to teach somebody how to do something or write something, or, or you know, even e- this this stuff. Even if even if for people who are listening who are not even thinking, I don't want to write a book, I don't want to write, uh, you know, blog post. You might want to write the copy to your GitHub README file about your new open source project. Th- these things still apply. Oh, uh, is this going to make my life better? Don't just tell me what the project is. Tell me how it's going to make my life better. How how why I should adopt it into my tool chain. Um, if you want to speak at a conference, just you, when you're you're going to have to write out some abstract for your conference talk to get people to show up to it, get the organizers to pick it. You know, Chuck just mentioned there's a call for proposals for uh, for the uh, Ruby Remote Conf. Uh, you know, 
a lot of the stuff we're talking about here applies to those conference abstracts and conference proposals too. So it's not just about uh, blogs and books. Uh, it's about ways to promote your product, ways to promote yourself. Um, you know, even if it comes down to you're looking to get that next job, right? Your cover letter is going to have a little bit of this to it. You know, why should yep. why should I read your cover letter? Why should I care? Get you know, that common theme of what's in it for me, right? Well, that's that's the thing that I tell people when because one. So I have two projects right now that I'm working on, um, and I've kind of put the how to get a job one on the back burner because um, I did this. So I saw back up. I, I just for a minute just to give a little bit of context to what I'm I'm going for. But um, so I did a survey last April. And I got a whole bunch of feedback from people. And the most common question was, how do I know what to learn next? Or how do I know what I'm supposed to know in order to get a job? Or things related to that, right? So what am I supposed to be learning? Or what do I need to know? And then the, the other questions uh, basically boiled down to, how do I get a job? And so um, I've been working on the how do I get a job thing for a while until I got too busy to even think about writing a book. Um, but that's what I tell people about the cover letter is, look, your resume is kind of a list of this is the stuff that I've done or this is the stuff that I'm good at. And your cover letter is, why should I care? Like, who is this person and why should I even pay any attention? Right. So, you know, go ahead. Sorry. You know, for me, it's also about presentation of the article or blog post or readme file. You know, if I'm checking out a new gym that someone referred me to, if that gym, if it's readme is very light, it doesn't have much description of what the gym is trying to accomplish in a very clear and concise manner. And if the readme or the details on actually how to use and interact with the gym is not uh, very well laid out or documented, then I'm probably going to pass on to something else. So not only is the content important, but I think having a uh, clear and concise as well as uh, laid out of your content is equally important. What was it about? Uh, I want to say it was Rick Olson way back in like 2008 or so. He had coined this idea of readme-driven development for a gem. Um, and I, and I, I took to that immediately, that idea of, you know, before you even really start writing the code, write down the, write the, write the readme file for it that explains how it's going to be used. You want me to write the spec first? Isn't that waterfall? I know, right? (laughs) But the idea, you know, the idea is that you're going to put off your documentation. You know, you're going to put it off. But, you know, use it as a a trial run. Like, you know, before you've you've even written the code, go, "Eh, how's the user interface going to, what's the API going to look like? How, How would... How would I? How would I invoke this object? You know things like that. You know, and it wasn't so much writing the test so much as it was just getting a clear picture in your head of how you're gonna how you're gonna work with it. And I liked that idea, just because if you look at it and you go, oh, that's kind of gross. You know, there's a good chance that yeah, it probably is kind of gross. So I thought that was kind of a neat, a neat, a neat approach to doing that because we want to say we start this we started this conversation out by saying um, here are things you, here are some things that you need to have like a good concise readme. What does that mean? How you know what what kind of advice can we give to for, to the person who's written a whole bunch of code and has got this gem they want to share with people. What are the kinds of things, like Dave, what are the kinds of things that they, that you, you look for when you're looking at their, their reading? What are the kinds of things you want to see? Well, one, if it's a not a widely adopted gem, you know, at the very top of the readme, I like to see, you know, what is the intended purpose of this gem? What is it trying to accomplish? Maybe that other gems just are not doing. And then for the actual body and the guts of the readme, I like to see examples. You know, here here is our use cases and here is how we have used it, code examples, uh, the different available uh, APIs into that gem and stuff like that. You know, that's not to say I don't do my own due diligence and review the actual source code of the gem first to see if uh, it has some major downfalls or security issues. But you know, my first uh, my first impression is going to be the uh, README file. So if that's not uh, good, and if they're not using proper markup, and you know, just very little things like that, because a lot of the older gems uh, that are out there, GitHub had changed their markup parser, so now it just displays as a bunch of uh, monotype uh, text. So. 
you know, that that also makes a difference to me to see, like, is this actually being maintained other than seeing the uh, the last updated date? You know, if the readme file is not maintained either, then um, I don't think it's going to get the traffic or usage that you want from a gym. Sure, sure. Well, and, and um, that, that goes right back to that. What What is in it for me? Right. Is it well maintained? You know, because I I don't want to be the maintainer. I just want to use this to solve my problem. But then the content as well. You mentioned you know, does it have examples? Does it have API? Does it show you how to use it? I mean, all of that stuff. It's you know, you you want to be able to look at it and immediately know this is how it's going to solve my problem and this is how I use it. And if you can't get that, or you can't get there easily, then there's not enough in it for you to be able to go out and actually take a chance on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, on the other side of things, sometimes you have too much information. For example, and I, I really hate saying this because I really admire and I love this gem, but the gem search kick, you know, it is a, uh, a tie-in to the Elasticsearch service and it's for Ruby on Rails or uh, – and it basically allows you to take your Rails application and tie into Elasticsearch for the full text searching. But if you look at its README, I mean, it is pages and pages long. It's almost overwhelming to be able to really see how to use this gem properly because there's just way too much information. So I think this is an example where too much information is sometimes a bad thing. And they really should have used the wiki or something like that within the repo to kind of segregate some of the data more. But just use the README for like the high-level bullet points that you really need to know to get this gym working. Yeah, we, we you see that a lot when you just kind of have uh, you know a brain dump of stuff. This is you know this is why people in this is this is why editors exist uh, for for books because the same sort of thing happens with manuscripts that I see, and it's just this massive brain dump, which is great. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's really hard to get out of people is is you know just the technical information. You, you think it's not, but it's actually that's like the hardest part when when you're putting together that kind of stuff is getting that technical information uh, out of people. Uh, but you know, once you have that, then it's time to look at it and go, okay, we need to organize this information. We need to put this in the right spot. We need to make sure how, how it connects. Um, you know, is this the right place for it? You know, you, you kind of, that readme, right, is is more of your, your, your marketing page. You're going to show a couple of basic examples, and then you're going to kick them off to the documentation for more examples, right? Uh, you're not going to try to throw everything into that. And it's the same thing with, uh, it's the same thing with like a conference presentation. If you're trying to lay that out, you've only got so much time. You've only got so much, uh, uh, so much of your audience's attention, whether it's in person or whether it's on on paper. You really only have so much of their attention. Uh, so you have to figure out exactly what 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 needs to go in here, and what what do I need to omit or or defer? Uh, sort of that eighty twenty rule, right? What, what we want this to be applicable to almost everybody. It's okay if that twenty percent use case doesn't don't find their answer in this spot. They can find it somewhere else. I think it's interesting that we've kind of started out with the probably the couple of areas that more or less every developer, if you're developing open source or you want to be involved in the community, is going to need that isn't blogging or, <laughs> or writing mm-hmm. books, right? It's, it's yeah. writing the readme, it's writing documentation, it's writing good bug reports, you know, things like that where it's, it's probably not a big treatise on how something works or how to use it or even what to dig into. It's just, hey, look, you know, here's, here's the basic problem and either please help me solve it or here's how you solve it. Yeah, one of the things that I object to in software development is when I hear uh, software developers refer to writing and speaking as soft skills. Um, you know, writing is a very technical skill when you're doing it in a technical manner. Um, it's you know, it's it's a lot it's a lot in common with software development. Um, you know, it's an iterative process. It's going to go through peer review if it's done properly. It's going to go through uh, it's going to go through through many many phases. Uh, and it's going to – it has its own rules and its own syntax. Uh, it's, it's a very, very technical thing. And I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's something that other software, develop, uh, software developers really should um, put, put, a little, put a little time into if they're not already and, uh, and prioritize it as a, as a skill. Uh, it will help your career for sure. Uh, it will absolutely help your career.
Um, and that's one of the things that I enjoy doing is I enjoy helping helping people um, get better at that, get better at presenting their thoughts as 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 words. So, I'd like to do that. I'd like to spend some time, you know, with some practical advice, um, you know, that, that people can start putting to use today. We already kind of talked about the idea of thinking about your audience and focusing on them, um, but it, it's a little it's a little deeper than that. It's a little more. Uh, a little more involved than that, right? You've got your ideas. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you do with them? You know, where do you where do you start with those ideas? Uh, you know, I lo- I love to hear Chuck. What's what's your process when you're when you're putting together something that you're writing? So it depends on what it is, but most of these kind of follow the same process. Um, the first thing that I generally do is I actually start talking to people um, about what I think I want to write. In fact, I'm doing that this week for the What Should I Learn um, book or project, and the reason is is because um, first of all, I want to know, A, do people want this? And B, if it's something like a book that's going to be more of a product and less of a blog post or you know something that I just kind of put out as content on the internet for free, I want to know if they're going to buy it. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing is is that I found that when I talk to people, so the same thing with getting a job, for example. Um, you know, I, I was getting ready to write a book on that and I wound up talking to a whole bunch of people and it turns out that I was probably 75% right, but there was another 25% that they were asking questions about that I hadn't really even thought about. And so they're, they're talking about, you know, well, you know, I, I get in for the interview and I don't get hired or things like that. And it's like, oh, okay. So yeah, how do I troubleshoot my process? Or with what do I learn as I'm talking to people about that? I'm finding that a lot of people are coming to it from different places. The answers are still fairly, you know, the same, but I now know that I need to address those particular areas. So I just came out of the boot camp, or I've been programming in Java for, you know, years. And now I'm trying to decide if I want to make a transition. So what do I learn and how do I know? And so if, you know, if I can, if I can talk to people, then I get a really good idea of where they're coming from and a really good idea of what they need. And then I can, I can focus a little bit more on those areas and make sure that I address them as part of the content. And when I'm writing readmes and things, it's the same thing. Um, I tend to put something out there, but then I also tend to go to some friends or to some other people and just say, look, uh, use this, um, you know, read the readme. And then if you really love me, you'll tell me three things that I need to fix. It's a, so you know, in a nutshell, you're you're doing you're doing market research and analysis, and then you're using the same tools and the same processes that you use if you're building software. If you're building a, a software product uh, to to develop your written work. Yeah, basically. I mean, then, I mean, this this is this is why it's so applicable to software developers. It's it's true. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you've ever tried to build a SaaS or worked at a company that built a SaaS, and you know they went out and they got funding, but they never actually talked to any of their customers, and then they died a horrible death, and you were out of a job for a few months while you figured out what you were going to do next. I mean, they have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. but it's true. And no, then you, you see, yeah, you well, I see this a lot. Yep. Yeah. You mentioned I see it a lot with books. You mentioned, you know, the rest of it like a software project, and that that's a lot of how I approach it too because once I know all this, then I sit down and outline it, and then I start fleshing out the parts that, um, you know, I think I understand the best, and then, um, you know, and then I, it's usually also the, kind of the core parts, and that way I can start tying everything back into it. And it's the same thing with software development. Usually, if you have a program, you have kind of a core algorithm that you're following, and then all of the stuff that's out on the fringe, it has to talk to this other service, or it needs to convert from, you know, Unicode to ASCII or whatever, um, you know, that, that's all out on the edge. And so you kind of figure that out and then you tie it back to your main algorithm. And, and that's, so you, that's how I write. You said something that's just, it's, it's of utmost importance. You only just briefly mentioned it, but I want to bring it back because it's, it's, it's so incredibly important uh, when you're planning to write something. And that's that you said you outline it. And, and a lot of people kind of gloss over that, but that is, that is the stage. It's sort of the part you hate doing 
uh, you hated doing in college writing, you hated doing it in high school writing, was so make an outline, make an outline. And, and no one really bothered to tell you why that's so important uh, and, and at those stages. At least no one told me why outlines are so important. Oh, I but hate filling out, in the backlog too. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's The thing is though is – that's the place where you haven't invested too much of your uh, too much of your sweat and 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 blood and tears uh, with your idea. That's the point when you share it with people. Like that's the point where if, if I'm if I'm working with you as a as a developmental editor, uh, and for for those that aren't aware, a developmental editor is really focused on tone and structure, uh, making sure you're not repeating yourself, making sure that you're uh, you know is sort of a developmental editor is going to hold you accountable to to talking to your audience and making sure you've explained everything. So it's not the tiny details like the grammar and the spelling and the copy editing, um, but the developmental editor is going to is going to kind of hold your hand through the process and and remind you, hey. Did you talk about this yet? You're introducing this concept, but you're not talking about this other concept. It's that other set of eyes uh, that that works with you. And the outline is the greatest place to engage someone like that because you haven't written all of this stuff yet, but you can you have a bird's eye view of what you're going to write. And so what I've always recommended to people is at that outline stage, uh, for each of your for each of your high level outline things, write a write a paragraph that introduces that that topic. Oh, nice. And and just and just say what are you going to be what are you going to learn from here you know what what are, what are you going to learn in this section so just write it out as a paragraph and that'll eventually become your introduction to the chapter or your introduction to that section but if you do that as you're outlining it'll help you see and it'll help anybody else who's looking at your outline get a feel for where you're going and, and how things can tie together and you'll eventually be able to see very clearly um, where are the areas that you need some resources you can't if you can't write if you if you have a topic like uh, if you're going to write a book on on you know, on some JavaScript stuff, and you can't explain what you're going to, if you can't really write a paragraph explaining what you're going to talk about in the section, that's a quick indication, that's quick feedback to you right now that there might be something wrong with that section. The other thing I recommend is trying to tie, um, trying to tie it into the next, try to, try to uh, incorporate transitions into the outlines so that you can say, you know, when you're, when you're finishing up a section or you're finishing up a chapter, it helps the reader if you can kind of transition them and flow them to the next sentence section, mm-hmm. even if it's something simple as a sentence like, now that you've installed XYZ, let's go and write the configuration files. Uh, just that helps bridge. But that becomes your that, – that's sort of your scaffolding when you're putting the whole work together because you can see how, how things are going to flow and tie together. And then you can go, you know, it actually doesn't make sense to do that in this order. It makes sense to do it in a different order. I was actually going to point that out because – um, as I've outlined some of the things for both finding a job and, um, you know, what should I learn? Yeah, I mean, I get in there and some of the things in the beginning kind of tie back and rely a little bit upon things that are later in the book and vice versa. And so sometimes it's tricky to figure out what that order is. But if it's in an outline or, you know, once I start writing it, you know, each chapter is kind of in its own file, then I can start mo- I can move things around easily. Um, but especially in the outline, you know, move it up, move it down and just, you know, recognize, hey, you know, this is going to have some tie into, you know, so I'm going to have to explain parts of this again once mm-hmm. they get the other concept. But, yeah, it's it's really cheap to move stuff in your outline. Yeah, it is. It's very cheap. And and it's but it's also like I guess it's a great place to get feedback. Right. Yep. Um, I do that all the time. I, I ask that I ask that from uh, from people that I'm working with. I ask to see their outlines right up front. And when I'm writing something. That's the first thing I share. It's the first artifact I share. Uh, I, I don't. I don't often do the approach that you do, Chuck. I don't often go and, and do the uh, do the the market research stuff first uh, because I, I find I get like a lot of out of scope stuff. So what I tend to do is I tend to define the outline first and scope it that way. And then if if there are things that people bring up that I that I feel like they would fit in, then I'll sort of add them in. 
But I, I, I come to the table with something first. So that's sort of my approach. I don't think either approach is right or wrong, mm-hmm. but that's sort of, sort of how I approach it is I'll, I'll do a preliminary outline first and I'll say, hey, uh, Dave, Chuck, take a look at this. What do you thought? What are your thoughts? Uh, what am I missing? Well, uh, you know, what, what, what do you see in here that I shouldn't be talking about? What's out of scope? Those kinds of things. So a little bit more nuanced view on how I do this. I actually usually wind up talking to two or three people and then do the outline and then talk mm-hmm. to probably seven or eight more people and refine it. Ah, sure. Sure, sure. But that, that's on books. If it's a blog post, yeah, I'll usually outline it first and then tell, see what people think. Right. Because right. it's small and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. And so right. if it's something that I'm worried, okay, is this really going to get the, the, you know, the message across? Or maybe it's in an area that I'm just not completely comfortable, um, you know, spouting my mouth off on things. And, you know, I want to say, okay, you know, is this, you know, am I walking into some areas that I'm just not aware are kind of landmines? You know, because there are hotly mm-hmm. contested areas that, you know, I don't want to be in the middle of the fight. I just want to make people think about one idea or another. And so, you know, that as well, you know, I'll get people's input just to make sure that I'm not um, unintentionally whacking one side or the other in the face. Yeah, we, we, we run into that a lot. Um, you know, I'm good at that. Uh, we, we run into that a lot, though, with, with, with people in technology. Um, and what I think is what I think is, is the value of, of a a piece of writing like a book over over a stack overflow post is that you can contextualize it and you can give it a very specific you can give it a very specific scope right yes. so if it, your way might not be the best way for such and such but it is the best way for this situation and i think it's okay to use the to use your platform to explain it that way i don't i don't think you have to be very wishy-washy and say well you might do this you might do that uh, a person has picked up the thing you're reading that uh, they're they're just be authoritative about it um if your facts are sound and it works, you're already a, a farther step ahead than the critics who didn't take the time to write it themselves. Um, yeah, that's I, true. I, I don't. I don't want to sound. I don't want. I don't want people to come away thinking that this is a bit of arrogance. But you do have to. You're, you're the one putting the time in. You're the one doing the research. And if you keep it fact based, as opposed to having a lot of opinions around it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, then then and and you explain why you're doing something. This is the other the other piece of advice that I want everyone to take away from this is, you told me why I should care. Uh, so you got me, you got me, you, you, I'm bought into this now. Um, and this is sort of my biggest criticism with a, a lot of the t- tutorials out there on Webpack and other uh, things in the JavaScript space. They, they, they get me hooked with a great introduction. Uh, they bring me through, they, they've got me totally locked in. They sell me on why I should care about Webpack. And then they give me 40 lines of configuration to just paste into a document and don't tell me what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. <laughs> um, and that's the thing is, okay, okay, you, you, you've got to tell, not just what. Your job as the writer is to tell me why. Because if you paste in a bunch of configuration, then you leave yourself open for hacker news comments about why your configuration is bad. But if you if you paste a bunch of configuration in and you explain the situation that you're covering and why you've put those configuration lines in there, it automatically deflects a bunch of comments. Well, and, and it puts is- you on better and it puts you on better footing with your reader because now the reader goes, yeah, I know what that does now. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I was gonna say you've solved that what's in it for me. So even if it's mm-hmm. not the quote unquote best way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. It turns out that, hey, I, I've got enough context now to figure out if there's a better way to do it. One of the things that happens to me a lot when I'm editing something from somebody is I'll give them some comments and they'll say, could you explain this section better? And rather than and when what they'll do is they'll write me back personally in the notes. They'll write me back this long explanation as to why they did it this way. And my response is, that's great. Please write that so the reader can see it. Yeah. You know, so, if you've got it, if you, if you if internally, if you have a justification, if you're writing something internally, if you have a justification, write down your justification as part of the work that you're doing. Tell people why you're doing it a certain way. Tell people about your approach and why it's a good fit. I love it. That's awesome. 
Yeah, this is great stuff. You know, I'm learning a lot listening to just you two. I almost forgot that I was on the on the uh, show here. But as far as someone who is wanting to get into blog blogging uh, a bit more, maybe as a uh, precept to writing their own book, what kind of uh, hosting do you think they should use? Do you think they should use something like Medium out there, which has been pretty much tried and proved? Or do you think they should do a WordPress style or even like their own kind of self-hosted Jekyll through GitHub or something? Now, what are your thoughts on the different available tools out there? Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, I'm not a big fan of Medium because I think if you're, if you're trying to, you, if you're trying to do blogging as, as an attempt to, uh, kind of build your own brand, I think you should probably build your own brand on your own website and your own web presence. Um, but I don't think an occasional medium post hurts. I just don't think I'd put all my stuff there. I think I'd try to have, have a presence so that way, you know, when I launch when I, when I launch the book or whatever I'm going to launch, at least I've got a place to do that too. That's just my thoughts on that. I, I'm also sort of an old school web guy and I don't like the idea of if, if medium, if medium crumbles one day, all those posts, what happens to all those posts, where do they go? Uh, and we just kind of saw that with medium uh, recently with their, Hey, we're, we're changing direction, et cetera, et cetera. I was, my first thought was, Oh God, all those posts are going to disappear. Now, uh, thankfully they didn't, but that was a little bit of a worry too. Oh, I have, I have feelings on this too. So <laughs> go ahead. Um, so here, here's kind of my take on things. It, it comes back to that same question again, what's in it for me, right? Um, you know, you're the listener, you're sitting there going, okay, medium, what's in it for me versus WordPress, what's in it for me versus whatever. Um, so I, I look at some of the trade-offs. I mean, medium is free. Uh, you have to pay. Well, you can have a, you can have a, an, a free WordPress on like wordpress.org or com or something. I don't remember. But, uh, if you, if you're going to set up a WordPress site, just point your own domain to it and spend the money on it. So that's 10 bucks a year and you can get WordPress hosting for as little as like three, four, five bucks a month. So ultimately it's not a cost center issue unless you just really can't even afford that. Um, and I recognize there are probably people who can't. Um, but anyway, beyond that, it, it comes down to what you want. Okay. So, I mean, if you want to be prolific and you want to get lots of views and I don't know what marketing tools medium exposes to you. So for example, I don't know if, um, if you're trying to like promote a book or something, I understand that medium tends to get you more traffic than say, uh, a WordPress setup. And so, you know, if you want your blurb at the end for, you know, um, Joe or Jane developer to say, they're the author of this book, link back to Amazon where they can buy your book, um, then maybe Medium will work out for you. If you're more interested in the book sales than you are in the personal brand. But if you're looking at building a personal brand, you want to be a speaker, you want to get a book deal, you know, with Pragmatic Programmer or somebody else, um, it makes a lot more sense to set up a WordPress domain, a WordPress site, point your own domain at it. Um, you know, so Joe developer, Jane developer.com. And then from there, you know, make sure that you're posting regularly and building a following and building an email list and, you know, kind of building your brand and your marketing machine, because those things are very, very attractive to both conferences and to, uh, publishers. And so if you have all of those things going and they know that, Hey, look, um, this person writes a book and then they go tell all the people that follow them about it. Um, you know, and you have that personal brand. So when they're browsing Amazon, they see your book, see your name and go, Oh, I like that guy. I'm going to go buy the book. Um, then I would go with a wordpress.com. But when, if you have already have something out there and you're just trying to promote sales on something that already exists, uh, medium may work better for you. Just keep in mind that, um, future products and future sales are going to be a little bit harder than because you're going to be stuck in the paradigm of medium rather than in the paradigm of WordPress and, and owning your own website and your own domain. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all, all of that. Hey, everybody. This is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Comp. Uh, we just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. 
So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv slash conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. Rather than in the paradigm of WordPress and, and owning your own website and your own domain. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all, all of that. And see, my main concern with using something like Medium is I have no control over what direction they go. So whenever I happen to stumble across a link that takes me to something like Forbes, I immediately just close that browser tab because, you know, I don't want to have to disable ad block, you know, my ad blocker or other stuff like that or, you know, click to continue, you know, that kind of junk. So uh, that kind of really makes me weary about using something like Medium if they ever go into that kind of direction because, then, you know, just as my own personal belief, I would have to migrate all my data off of Medium and go to a different direction that would hopefully be compatible with whatever data I extracted out of Medium. So, you know, I've recently been, been playing around with Jekyll and, mm -hmm. you know, it's been really cool. You know, I really like it, but I think there's a lot of uh, missing pieces in it, like uh, SEO and uh, other kind of optimizations that um, I think a lot of people skip out on that WordPress and Medium provide just kind of natively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other thing that I will point out between WordPress and Jekyll, because I, I don't think it's helpful to compare Jekyll to Medium just because Jekyll is self-hosted and Medium isn't, and I think that's kind of the definitive uh, decision there. But WordPress can be self-hosted uh, as well as Jekyll. Um, I found that Jekyll main requires a bit more maintenance than WordPress, and I would rather be writing on my blog than maintaining it, and that's why I use WordPress. I mean, that's ultimately yeah. what it boils down to for me more than anything that's else. They've got a lot more themes, a lot more support, and a lot more plugins. And so if I want something, I pull it in, and I'm done, and then I can go right. And a no, lot more security issues. We need, we, need to dispel, we need to dispel that, though. I mean, yes, there are security issues. There are yeah. also ways to automatically keep your stuff up to date. You know, there's, yeah. there's not a kind of now, nowadays, your WordPress site getting hacked is a lot of times a result of you're just not uh, maintaining keeping it, keeping it automatically <laughs> up, updated somehow. You didn't tick the box that says roll the upgrades automatically because I've, I've got a couple that I haven't touched in years and they've never had a problem because every three days I get a, your WordPress automatically updated to the latest version email in my inbox. Um, and so it's not as not as insecure as, as people um, like to make it out to be. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's like every other it's like every other well-known web thing. There are a lot of people trying to break into it. So, you know, it's, it's a higher higher target. Um, you can get some nice Jekyll. You can get some nice Jekyll themes that have a lot of stuff already taken care oh, of for yeah. you. You know, I did that. Just found a couple on GitHub, and bam, everything's taken care of for me. I just got to put my content into it, and that was that was kind of nice. Uh, but the important thing is your content. It doesn't it doesn't really matter where your content is. It matters that people can get to it. It matters that people can read it. And it matters that people can engage with you on it. Uh, because that's that's the part of it is uh, if you can if you can write something and you can help people, that's one thing. But if you can write something and then get a, build a community around it and get people to engage you on your topic. Uh, that's a whole other thing. Um, so true. And, yep. You know, that's it, a whole other whole other level that you can get to, um, and that's that's where the real learning can can begin. Because um, if you if you write things in the if you write things in the right way, you'd be surprised how willing people are uh, to come and help you and and point and point things out and, and give you some additional suggestions. And, uh, and then those are people you can go to. You can say, hey, I'm you know in the future, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about writing an article on such and such, or I'm thinking about writing some writing a blog post on such and such. Uh, do you have any suggestions? You know, th those are the things you can engage with uh, with your readers and your community a little bit more. Well, and to be perfectly honest, those are the people I go to when I'm starting to think about a new project is uh, the people who have emailed me and said, hey, I really enjoy the show or, hey, this link on this page isn't up because those are the people who are uh, more highly engaged in what I'm doing, you know, in the podcasts. 
or, you know, if I have a blog post out there or something, you know, those are the people who are engaged enough to actually open their email up and say, hey, there's a problem here. And so those are the people that I want the feedback from because they're the people who are more likely to enjoy, consume, and even purchase things that I put out there. So, so you definitely want that level of engagement just so that you can find, you know, those handful of, you know, stalwart readers or whatever who really, really care. And then you write your stuff for them because there are a whole bunch of other people who aren't going to email you that are just like them. Exactly. So you, you put an outline together. You make sure you include why some, why someone should care and how their life is going to be better by what you're doing. You identify the things that you're, that you're going to cover. You make sure that all the things, all the topics are in there are aligned with that. And when you show some code, uh, you explain why you're doing it, not just what you're doing. Um, what other things, what other piece of, pieces of advice can we give, uh, can we give our, our readers? What do, what do they do? What do they do when they've got, uh, what do they do when they've got something ready to go? When they think they've got a, a product, a, a, a manuscript or something, what do you think they should go? I'm a big fan of beta readers. Get feedback. Do you like an open beta or do you no. try to try to use a list? What if you don't have a list? What, what if you're starting or what if you're brand new? What if, what if they don't have a brand already? What if they're, they, but they have this idea for something, they figured something out and they really want to share it with the world. What do they do? If they've already written their book, they went way too far without getting feedback. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, sorry, but that, that's, yeah. that's how I see right. it. You've gone way too right, far. Right. You know, you should have already been talking to people about this, you know, and, and getting feedback. And, you know, um, I, I think we're going to get Brian to go on a rant a little bit later about this, but have an editor look at it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but you you should have plenty of feedback, you know, as you're writing it. And then you just take it back to those people and say, OK, you know, I've got a few chapters or I've got something for you to look at. And then you have them look at it. And then once sure. you're getting close to the point where you're getting ready to actually open it up and start selling it or, or put it out there for free or whatever you're going to do with it. Hopefully by then you've also been marketing and building a mailing list and things so that you can sell it to everybody else who's interested in what you've got going on. If you haven't been bu building a brand and building a list and doing all this other stuff and soliciting feedback throughout the whole process, then you're, you're really not going to, it's not going to be as good and you're not going to have as many people interested when you release it. So I'm going to play devil's, I'm going to play devil's advocate because that's a great strategy if you're going to self-publish it. Yeah. But if you're not looking to self-publish it, um, pitch it to the Pragmatic Bookshelf. Pitch it to O'Reilly. Pitch it to some other place. I'm going to say pitch it to the Pragmatic Bookshelf because I'm completely and totally biased. Uh, but <laughs> I'm going to be—I'll be completely and totally honest with you that that's where you should—that's where you should send your book, especially especially if it's covered if, if if you've covered all the things I've said here. Um, because there's a link on the very bottom of the Pragmatic Bookshelf's website that says "Write for us," uh, and it explains all of the all the steps uh, that you need to do to put a proposal together. Okay. And you know, a good part of the, a good part of that is it's 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 a it's information that's not just valuable to someone who's going to submit a book to the pragmatic bookshelf. It's good sound advice for putting any kind of written work together. You know, if, uh -huh. if you, if you're going to self-publish, if you're going to self-publish, probably read that information anyway, because it'll help you put together the things that Chuck is talking about. All right. Um, so I, I, have to, I have to poke you for a minute. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, if you don't have a market, so I'm, I'm kind of in a unique position, right? I'm on three podcasts that between the three of them probably get 40 or 50,000 downloads every yeah. week. All right. So if I go out and try and sell something myself, it's because I don't want Pragmatic Bookshelf to take it and then give me half of the money back. And I think I can make more money and I can, you know, I can reach okay. plenty of people on my own. Right. But if sure. you don't have a market or, you know, you, you don't reach a lot of people, um, you reach enough people to kind of get the feedback I'm talking about. But when it comes down to selling something, you're not in that position, then you definitely should look at going to one of these um, publishers. 
And Pragmatic is the one that pretty much all of my friends have gone to because they give a higher commission and they sell directly to the audience that they're trying to reach. And so it makes a ton of sense to go that way if you don't have a large audience and you're thinking you want to go publish a book. And they can tell you usually, um, you know, or work with you a little bit if your proposal isn't quite up to snuff, but they'll tell you mm-hmm. whether or not they think they can sell it. And they will also tell you if, they, if they're kind of on the fence, they'll, they'll ask you for more of the right information. And so... Yeah, I, I told you I was going to poke you, but I actually agree with you for, for most people in most situations. If, if you don't have a large audience that you can market to on your own, then going through someone like Pragmatic Bookshelf is the right answer. Well, we've taken we've, we've taken some people, some authors on that have really, really, really large brands. Um, I, know, I know that we've done that. I know, that, you know we've, we've published some books by some pretty, some pretty big names with a pretty good following. And they... I'm, I haven't heard them complain too much, uh, but it's just a matter of what you're looking to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you're uh, if you've already got an infrastructure in place to sell things, that's that's a big plus in your favor. Um, if you've already got someone and you can rely on to help you index and typeset and uh, all that kind of stuff, then that's a, that's that's great for you. Uh, I one of the things that I've run into a lot uh, with some self-published books I've bought recently, and um, I don't I don't like to say negative things about specific things in public, but I do provide feedback to the authors of these things because I want to see them make their books better. But I see an awful lot of people who go, I don't want to take, go to a publisher because they're going to take all the money and they're going to not give me anything in return. Uh, and then they'll self-publish something and it's hard to follow. It's barely coherent. Things are missing. There are, there are literal errors when I try to run the code. Um, no one's looked at it. They, they, they kind of, they, they looked at self-publishing as sort of the cheap route. I'm, I'm going to take all the money I'm going to do. I'm doing all the work, so I'm going to keep all the money, except they forgot to do all the work. Um, the, in order to produce a quality book, um, you need, you need people that are professionals in their areas of expertise. You want someone who can lay things out in a nice way. You want someone who can index your content. If it's a big book, you definitely probably want an indexer uh, to, to work on that. And there are people, I didn't realize that that's like a profession. That's that th- people just index books. That's what they do. Um, and then there are, they, they are your copy editors and there are your developmental editors uh, and there are your marketing people and all these people who have these professional jobs there's whose, whose, uh, job it is to, to help you sell copies of your book. If you're self-publishing, those are all services you can hire and build into the cost of producing your book. And I think you should, I think if you're self-publishing, I think you should at the bare minimum, uh, get someone to pay someone to be the developmental editor of your book while it's in progress. And maybe you do that on a commission basis or, uh, you know, 12, 10, 12% or something like that uh, of the book sales uh, took them in, or you pay them uh, out of your pocket, depending on how you work that agreement out. But there are lots of fantastic, uh, fantastic freelance developmental editors out there. Um, and get some people to review your book, technical review of your book. Mm-hmm. You know, people that, people that aren't your friends, people who don't have any investment in you whatsoever, have them read your book. The, every book that I've published with the Pragmatic Bookshelf, uh, every book that I've published has had you know about around 20 or 25 strangers look at the book and run through the code and tell me all kinds of ways that my book sucks, um, which is great because then by the time I, it actually gets out there in front of people, it doesn't suck uh, because that's the thing is you, you, if you're doing all this work, you want it to be successful. You want to help people. So you want to avoid any kind of particular traps that will get in the way of you being able to do that whether it's a piece of code that doesn't work or it's an explanation that you left out or it's something that's out of order. You know, catching those kinds of things and getting them in front of the, and getting the polished product in front of the reader uh, will help them be better at what it is that they're trying to accomplish. So publishers offer that stuff. So if you don't, if, if all you want to do is write and you don't want to be the person maintaining your shopping cart, you don't want to be the person editing your own stuff. I mean, me personally, I'm 
I can edit other people's stuff like nobody's business. But when it comes to my own stuff, I will miss everything. I can't edit my own stuff. And I'm aware of that as a limitation uh, uh, in my skill set that I can't edit my own things. So um, I have a relationship with an editor at the Pragmatic Bookshelf who has edited almost all of my books. She's amazing. She's the person that I will, that I will try to go to every time to have something published uh, that I work with. And I know a self-published author who's written many books, and he has a great relationship with an with a, uh, independent a freelance developmental editor that can do kind of the same sorts of things to help make sure that book is a polished product. So I have, I have questions now. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> so let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there were six rogues and they thought that it would be a great idea to write a book and they had an idea and they got together for, um, for a retreat and they actually outlined the book and started working on writing parts of it. And they went to a publisher and I won't name Wiley as the publisher, but they went to the publisher and they tried to work out a deal with the publisher and the publisher came back with a deal. I don't remember the exact percentage, which is probably good because I think the, I don't think they wanted us to share the percentage, but I think it was somewhere in the range of like 10 to 15% of yeah. sales. Right. That That's, uh, and I'm, and I'm going to guess there was probably an advance too, right? Yeah. But the advance barely covered anything. Yeah. 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 It, it never does. So, so anyway, so we wound up bagging the project because we figured that even if we sold as many copies as we thought we, we could sell, um, we, we were talking about putting a couple hundred dollars in our pockets for all mm-hmm. the work that we were going to put in because we were yeah. going to split the commission between, you know, the six of us. And so anyway, um, I mean, that, that's part of the reason. And I, I've heard dozens of stories like this, you know, where somebody publishes a book and then they you know, they don't even make the advance back. And so, you know, they got right. five grand to spend six months, you know, five days a, a day, you know, 20, 25 hours a week for six months, you know, and they made five grand. So they were making like a buck 50 an hour, right? In the book. And, you know, if it's a passion project or you feel like it's really going to impact people and that's what you're doing it for, then that probably mm-hmm. doesn't matter as much. But if you're yeah. trying to write a book and you're thinking, you know what, it'd be nice if it put a little money in my pocket, then, you know, I mean, I could just go work extra hours for clients, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I struggle with this, too, because one of the things I you know, want to do is I want to see people write. I want to see people write stuff. And I think that agreements like that from some of the publishers that, I, that will remain unnamed uh, uh, do do a disservice to to authors and it discourages people because they hear stories like that and they go, no, no, you can't make any money uh, on doing this. The, the aforementioned page from the pragmatic bookshelf that I, I mentioned has a, uh, a section in on what do I get? And I'm just going to read the section for you. Um, there's, there's a pie chart on the page and it says, uh, it shows how much our authors received in royalties at the end of 2013, wherein 74% of our titles made more than $25,000 for their authors. Mm. Um, there's a different royalty scheme at Prags. There's no, there's no advance. That's, you know, that's, that's written in there. There's no upfront advance, but it is a uh, 50, 50, it is a 50% royalty split. Um, so, I, I, I'm happy with the with the relationship that my I'm happy with the sales numbers and the profits that my books have done. I don't think I would have been able to achieve those numbers without working with a publisher. Right. But I've also written a book a long time ago for a different publisher, and I can tell you that I receive a royalty statement every year from that particular publisher for a dollar twenty nine. <laughs> so. Um, it's, it's, it's about the deal that you, it's about the deal you make and the thing, the thing that you're offered. Right. Um, and that's the, that's the real thing. Like I said, regardless of who you go through, work out a process that allows you to develop a quality product for your reader because your ultimate goal is to help them. Mm-hmm. So, so are we talking more about publishing versus self-publishing or about having a process that includes these services that you're talking about? Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say either one, right? I'm happy to see either one. If depending on how much time you've got. Uh, if you can pull, the, you can pull the process together. If you can coordinate that, yeah, right. Like if you're gonna build a kitchen, do you are you the general contractor that coordinates all the services together, or do you hire someone to do all those pull, pull the services together and then pay them to do that? Right. Uh, you know, it's that sort of the same mindset. If you already have an infrastructure together, 
um, you know, go nuts. Sure. If you're a well-known person in the Ruby community, I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can, uh, pull enough of your contacts together to make something work in a, in a, in a self-published, uh, self-published manner. Um, but like I said, either way, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play, I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate against myself. Just because you work with a publisher does not always guarantee that you'll produce a quality product either. Right. There are, there are plenty of books that come out from publishers that have errors in them. Uh, they have mistakes. Uh, they're, by the time they hit the print, they're out of date. You know, that's, that's just a, a problem with our industry as it, as it is. Um, so we, you have to, you, you can't just say that, oh, I went with a publisher, so I'm fine. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's the process that really is the utmost important part. Gotcha. So now I want to ask, okay, so if I decide to pull together this process or part of this process, you know, how do I do that? But I don't know if we have time to dig into that. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is you can, you can, uh, you can get a lot of, uh, a lot of trade magazines. You can find, uh, trade magazines for, for writers and editors. Um, and you can usually find people through those. That's kind of what, that's what I've heard for people do. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I've, I've even seen it on Twitter. I even said, Hey, I'm looking for someone to edit, to, to edit my book. I, I, and I've seen responses come back, uh, you know, just using, just using that network. Hey, anybody who's anybody self-published know a good, good development editor that I can work with, uh, things like that, uh, work out. Cause I get those, those are, those are professionals looking to, looking to, uh, put their shingle out there just like you are you know, putting your shingle out there. Yeah, it makes sense. So do you have any kind of final encouragement for people to get out and write? I'm not necessarily even a book, but just blog posts yeah. or anything. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Uh, the, the, the best people to teach something are the people who just went through that, that experience. Yes, true. You know, if you, if you've, if you've got that experience, even if it's small, it, 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 it's valuable to somebody else. Um, there was, there was, there, there's a little bit of an analogy in, in, in teaching. When I was teaching classes, I always, in, I always encourage people to ask questions and, and I always would tell people, you're, you're probably going, not going to ask a question because you don't want to appear stupid in front of everybody else. It's a bit of an insecurity that we all share. Well, if I raise my hand and ask this question, then everyone will know I don't know. And I would always tell students, there's a really good chance that five other people have the same question that you have, maybe more, but they're also too afraid to do that. And so it's the I, I see the same thing happen with, with developers and I say, hey, that's really cool. You should write about that. And they'll say, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. What if I don't know what I'm doing? What if I don't know what I'm talking about? I'm not an expert in that. I can't do that. And my response is you absolutely can and you should. Yep. And from a reader perspective, please put your dates on your blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my, oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's nothing worse than, uh, you know, you go, you find what you think is the answer, and then you try it out. And then once you start tracking it down, yeah, it's the version of Ruby or Rails or Node.js or whatever <laughs> from two years ago. And it just doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's, there's a whole conversation we could have about, about, again, introductions and titles and things like that. Like, you know, you're not just installing Ruby. You're installing Ruby 2.3 on uh, oh, uh, Mac OS Sierra. Yeah, you're installing home, a lifestyle with, with home with homebrew version whatever. You know, <laughs> it's not just the dates; it's the like the versions and stuff, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. I ran into that issue a lot when I was trying to debug a Apache uh, server I had, and all the tutorials turned out were for Apache 2.2 and not 2.4, and the syntax was incompatible and it took the site down, and it was just a mess. So versions and dates are definitely good to have. Yep. Yep, I've been there, fought that. All right, well, let's go Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conference. 
I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the freelancer show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. Yeah, I've been there, fought that. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Brian, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. Uh, just, just I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide two picks about, uh, three picks about, about writing. Um, there, there are three books. One of them's a classic. One of them's a classic book uh, called On Writing Well. Oh, um, good book. It's a little, little short book, but it's a fantastic book. Uh, the, the, the current, the current version has just got some great examples in it. Uh, in fact, uh, the current version even has kind of a meta example where he shows the editorial process of his manuscript for the chapter you're reading, uh, which is kind of neat to see. Uh, but it's just a great book full of, uh, full of real practical advice. Uh, the second book is a book called Keys to Great Writing, uh, and it's a book that um, I've given lots of authors uh, to help them tell a story. Uh, there's there's, there's a, a lot to be said for, even if you're writing a technical content, there's, there's a lot to be said for making it a narrative, making it a story. Uh, just again, to kind of key into that that concept that humans like stories. We like those. That's how, that's how, we, that's how we told history for years, uh, and it's, it's how we can make connections with, with our readers. Uh, so Keys to Great Writing is a, a fantastic um, book to kind of get your uh, get your creative flow on. And the last book is a, a book actually about developmental editing. It's a book designed to kind of teach you how to be a developmental editor. And it's called The Artful Edit. And it, it's got a bunch of case studies and, and, and just really good advice if you're looking to be a better uh, editor, if you're looking to uh, kind of level up your writing to the point where you can really start thinking about structure uh, and style and organization. And so uh, you know, I, I wanted to leave everybody with some real practical things. And I think that those those three picks will help people get on the right foot too. Awesome. Dave, what are your picks? I uh, just have one pick and it is power tools. <laughs> uh, specifically the DeWalt reciprocating saw. It is, I just got one not too long ago because I have a server rack in my basement. I needed to cut some angle iron and just for my uh, cheap poor man's uh, rack. But I got an angle grinder first, and that thing scared me to death. So I returned it, and I got this DeWalt reciprocating saw instead. It is awesome. I just the power in your hands of this thing. It is. It can cut through like anything. It's awesome. So it's like having a chainsaw without the risk of uh, unaliving yourself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I could pick power tools for weeks. I've got I've got lots <laughs> lots of to- toys tools. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna jump in with a few picks here. Um, so I just found a new system that I am using now for uh, currently have the sponsorship processes put into I'm working on getting some of the other systems like uh, onboarding guests and stuff into that and it's called 17 hats and uh, the thing that's different from it uh, I'm moving off of active campaign for my CRM and moving over to 17 hats and the reason that I'm doing that is that active active campaign has a lot of power tools in it so to speak um, where you can you know you can set up workflows and things like that and, and 17 hats is the same thing but um, 17 hats workflows are specifically designed for um, you know getting people through a specific process and most of the workflows that I found in active campaign uh, primarily center around just sending an email and waiting so long and then sending another email and so um, I'm really really digging it because um, I can put people into the process uh, and then it can just tell me where they are in the process and hmm. uh, Active Campaign actually has deals in it as well, you know, and I put all the sponsors in there, but I just couldn't quite figure out how to make it work um, because the 
the deals portion is centered around the workflow or the process. And so if you need to customize it at all, you really can't. And then 17 hats is focused around the project, which is connected to the user. And so if you need to change the workflow for them, you can. And so anyway, there were a bunch of other things that worked out nicely there. And they just added multi-user support. So now I've been able to pull uh, the team that helps me pull off the conferences and the uh, podcasts and make it all work there. So yeah, I'm, I'm pulling them in and getting them to the point where they have these processes. So as they go out and invite people to speak at the conferences, they just, boom, <laughs> you know, done. It's, it's, uh, they just add a workflow to them and then it, everything just kind of happens and it prompts them along the way. Okay, now you need to send them a, a, a quote or now you need to send them a questionnaire to get more information or um, anyway, it, it's a really great system. So I'm really digging that. Um, another thing that I'm going to pick just as a nice tool for planning is Google Spreadsheets. So I was working through some things, um, and, and I use uh, Google Docs, incidentally, for my outlines, just because it makes it super easy. Um, I can just put a dash in there, and then um, it uses it as a bullet point, and then, you know, for my next point, if it's a subpoint, I just tab in, and it just does the right thing. Um, and so I found that it's really easy to organize things that way. Um, but So I'll, I'll pick that as a tool, but also Google Spreadsheets. Um, I've been trying to figure out calendars for uh, my Cub Scouts, and um, we use a system called Scoutbook, and they expose a calendar in there. But the problem is, is you don't get this uh, view over time of, okay, we're working on this award. Now we're working on this award. Now we're working on this award, um, you know, for more than a month at a time. And even then it just shows you when the, the meetings are, and you have to click on the meetings to get the details. And so with this, I've been able to just, you know, put in all the dates for the rest of the year for all of our meetings. And then I've been able to put in when I have new boys coming in and new boys going out. Um, if you're familiar with Cub Scouts, um, the, the units for the LDS church, we, our boys actually come in when they turn eight instead of at the beginning of the school year. So I have to keep track of that so that I know uh, when I start certain awards and things. But anyway, just, just for planning, just, you know, four weeks at a time, I found that Google Spreadsheets is really easy. And I could color code everything and then share it with um, the Cub Master and the committee chair and my other den leader and anybody else who really cares to see it. So um, I'm, I'm really digging that. Um, so yeah, um, Google Spreadsheets, just awesome power tool there. So yeah, those are my picks. Um, oh, I'm also using it to manage the scheduling for sponsors for the shows. And I'm going to be embedding those spreadsheets into the website so people can see what weeks we have available and then come in and say, all right, I want to sponsor these episodes and, you know, whatever. So anyway, um, all of that to say that, yeah, Google Google Docs is awesome. Uh, Google Spreadsheets is awesome as well. So those are my picks. And yeah, if you want to submit for um, Ruby Remote Conf, and then in July, it's actually Newbie's Remote Conf. So if you have a topic you think would be helpful to new programmers, then uh, submit a talk for that as well. And uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, and especially thanks for all the advice, Brian. I appreciate it. And we'll catch you all next week. All right. See you later. Take care, everyone. 